Welcome to Books That Work, the best and most useful bits of business books. I'm Anna Hughes and my professional purpose is to help people love their work. I hoped that Books at Work shines the light on ideas, insights and concepts to learn from to make work better. No, in my experience, it's sometimes about me leading and then sometimes it's about standing back and letting others lead. So being prepared to be a leader and a follower. That's Dr. Jane Ridderford, author of Learning to Lead Together, an Ecological and Community Approach, our book for this episode. First up, we give away a copy of each book we feature, so congratulations Antonia Milkop, you are the winner of our last book, Be Brilliant. A copy is on its way, I really hope you love it as much as you loved the episode. I love hearing how people are using and sharing books at work, thank you. If one person does something differently from listening, well then that's a success for me. So please share, subscribe, follow Books at Work on Instagram and let me know what you think. Now, on to Learning to Lead Together. This is a book recommended to us by one of our Books at Work community. Let me introduce you to Jane Ridderford. She's a New Zealander with over 30 years experience setting up and running environmental and education projects in New Zealand and in the UK. In Learning to Lead Together, she tells us some really personalised stories that bring to life her role, time and experience with the organisation called Global Generation. Ecology and community are at the heart of Jane's ideas and insights and I'm really delighted to be able to share this diversity of thinking and a different entry into leadership and building organisations. So Global Generation, what is it? It's an environmental education charity. It's based in London and it's been growing communities and gardens in London since 2004. How it works together and with communities is all about creating practical ways to live more harmoniously with ourselves, each other and the planet. We get to talk about I, we and the planet a bit later with Jane, so hold on to that thought. Picture this, a Kiwi from the Wairarapa in New Zealand, in the middle of London, working with others to soften the harshness of the urban landscape and building community. Gardens created on lonely rooftops, skip rubbish bins turned into garden beds, rooftop water reused for flushing, paper gardens, story gardens, people from all walks of life working together in places like the bowels of the old Daily Mail building, through to the streets of King's Cross and even the urban landscape around Regent Street in the offices of Facebook. I love Jane's comment in the book where she says that growing food in inner city London is a catalyst for opening hearts and minds. Jane tells and weaves stories together throughout the book. I can't really do justice to them here, but what I can do is pluck out some of the key concepts to get us thinking differently. At the heart of all this is Global Generation's aim to build a generation of people with a global perspective who generate activity that supports the planet and all of us who live here. It builds communities around this model of I, we, the planet. The I relates to ourselves, so our self-awareness, our inner self. 
The we relates to the outer self, so things like teamwork. And the planet relates to what can physically be changed or created. This is a model that can be tried and applied in all our work lives. I had a go at using it when I was working out a value proposition for a project that I was working on and it gave me all sorts of new ideas and different ways of thinking. Some of the key concepts that jumped out to me from Jane's writing experience and thinking were these. How comfortable are we with naming and owning being a leader? How do we front into obstacles, conflict and difficult conversations? How self-aware are we of how others experience us as leaders? The power of saying no, how easy or hard it is to stick to our values and the difficulties of autocratic leadership. In the book there are practical ways of tackling these things through techniques like patience, courage, silence and listening. I'm really interested in the diversity of thinking and diversity of perspective that Jane and her team bring and that come out in this book. So let's get our conversation with Jane started now. So I'm welcoming to our conversation Jane Ridderford, the author of Learning to Lead Together. Welcome Jane. Hi Anna. Now we start every Books at Work conversation with this question, where in the world are you today and what's the view out your window? I'm in the Wairarapa in New Zealand and the view out my window today is the Ponatahi Hills and the sun is, the evening sun is just settling on the tops of the hills. Lovely. Now, I just want to start with some uh, introductory questions around uh, global generation. So what, what exactly is global generation? How would you describe it? Global generation is, in simplistic terms, it's, a, it's an environmental education charity. And our work is all about giving people an opportunity to connect to the natural world, people of all ages and circumstances. So that's one overarching aim. And the other half of the work and really a backbone and a spine is it's about giving a platform for children and young people to not only fulfill their potential, but to be catalysts for change and to have a voice, whether that's in their own communities or within the business community or in new regeneration schemes and to be change makers. So if we were in London today um, and it wasn't COVID, <laughs> what would we see? Uh, what, what would we see in the work that Global Generation has done? Well, I'd probably invite you to come to one of our home base gardens, which are um, one of them is right behind St Pancras Station on land that belongs to the British Library, but it's very much in the middle of glass and steel high-rise buildings. And uh, then there's this two-acre, uh, if you like, a little sanctuary with um, lots of buildings that have been created in different ways, some by architecture students, some by different construction companies, some by the community and food growing beds. The other garden, just to say, is in what was the former Daily Mail print works in South London in Canada Water. So um, yeah, you could say we have a habit of exercising 
difficult spaces. I think it's something really nice to be able to connect to, especially given what we hear about the UK and London and how hard it is with COVID. So thank you. And it's a nice uh, segue into storytelling. This is really interesting to me because we hear a lot in the business world about the value of storytelling and how we have to tell stories. And to be honest, I find this a little bit cliche-ish. Um, as, a, as a journalist and a communicator, it just leaves me a little bit hollow. But when I read your book, I, I felt storytelling come alive using your richness of what was going on with Global Generation with some really um, interesting lessons about leadership, about unlocking potential, about conflict. Um, so, you know, it was a, it was a nice eye-opener for me about the potential of storytelling. So I'm really keen to understand a bit more about that and how you learnt to do that how, and how hard it was. Yeah, I'd always heard about the storytelling thing and felt a bit kind of intimidated with it and what the hell is that? And then uh, we did a, um, a staff retreat, like an overnight away day. And I can remember sitting around the fire as the light was fading. And I began a little nervously to tell this story of the three baskets of knowledge, really as an effort to, but I told it not in the traditional version. I told it just, I kind of made up a story around it. And um I, as I told the story, I suddenly noticed the atmosphere shifted in the group. And I recognized that there was a power in telling story. It, it opened a space between people. So a few things that jumped out to me in relation to kind of mainstream leadership ideas. You talked yeah, sure. about the power of suspending fixed ideas. You talked about a shared sense of purpose and making room for difference and opposition. And I was just keen to understand how you learnt that in the context of global generation. And I, again, I know it sounds a bit trite, but I think it's an ongoing learning for me. As a personality, I, you know, I often think very fast and come up with scenarios quite fast. And initially on a project, people can be a bit like, Woo, you know, hang on, you're going too fast. We're like getting too way out there. And um, I think I've learned and I keep learning. If I if I just get too fascinated with my own ideas about something, I'd just be a one-woman show. I've had enough opportunity to see okay, you might need the starter, you know. I sometimes think I am a bit of a fire starter, but really it's magical when you get more people involved and something comes out of that collective space that's bigger than any of you can imagine. And that's happened to me enough times to go, okay, it's fine to light a match, but really everyone has to blow the candle or blow the fire to get it started. I mean, I think fire is a great, it's a great metaphor for all of this because, you know, if it's too packed in, it won't keep burning. It has to have enough space and it has to have the air coming in different directions and then it really starts to grow. So I guess, you know, even in selfish terms, just in the interest of creating a sustainable, meaningful, worthwhile project, 
it has to come from the collective. And I've been through that enough times. And enough times I've been through seeing uh, colleagues nearly get put off by or get, by my enthusiasm, over-enthusiasm. Because, it can, you know, enthusiasm's great, but it can kill other people's ability to step into the to the ring. And I think that's why in the book I talk about, for me, leadership is sometimes individual and more often collective. And I think it's a dance between the two. It's not about, you know, this thing of learning to lead together. It's not about all holding hands to the finish line. So, and it's sometimes about, you know, in my experience, it's sometimes about me leading and then sometimes it's about standing back and letting others lead. So being prepared to be a leader and a follower and being fluid enough to catch the moments of when that needs to happen. I totally get that um, overwhelming people with your enthusiasm. That's something that I need to I need to learn. So um, I'm going to reflect on that. Thank you. So I'm interested in um, a concept that you talked about earlier around I, we, and the planet. And you had an example in the book with a group of young women where this mm. kind of shone and just wondering if you could quickly talk about that story but flesh out the the couple of elements from the i we and the planet that are applicable to all of us they were a group of teenagers who were really um disengaged for quite a long period of time maybe three months or more and at the time we were involved in this competition we were finalists in a competition called the big green challenge and it was about carbon counting and you know there was a promise of this million pound prize and i was very focused on the sort of physical side of the work uh you know how are we going to measure the carbon and all of this and the, the practical initiatives we were doing, and it just got nowhere with them. And then I came across, uh, it was actually through a philosopher called Ken Wilber and integral theory, the whole notion of, he called it self, culture, and nature. And it, it does hark back to Plato's uh, beauty, truth, and justice. And if those three things are in place, then goodness flows I started reading up about all this stuff and then I thought right I'm going to craft the next workshop consciously focusing on these three different domains so self culture and nature and as far as I understood them that meant this more inner dimension of ourselves then the uh, culture was this collective dimension and the space between people and you could and then the planet was the outer physical tangible so you could say inner outer and collective so i structured the workshop according to those three different things and in terms of the self yeah we did get them to do some sitting still and to do some reflection on their values what values did they bring? I sometimes talk about values or qualities being our inner muscles and then how were they working together and then what were some of the practical things they were doing and framing it like that, suddenly it was as if an, 
electric switch went on and there was you could say goodness flowed or the electricity started to flow and the whole room became animated and they had these three big circles uh on the whiteboard and they were just filling them up and um and I was like, what is that about? And I've noticed that again and again, that it's a kind of architecture. And once, you know, if you consciously, and it could be in a light touch way, but address those three dimensions, then there's perhaps it's a more holistic way of working, but actually it enables this kind of energy to be released in a group that is more than, what's the expression? More than the sum of the parts. I loved that because these girls were very disengaged and then all of a sudden they just they just lit up and yeah, yeah it just sounded a really powerful experience for all of you. And I've, I've seen that happen you know enough times time and time again you know and um, it has, is very interesting to me that it's a practice or a, if you like a, a methodology or a framework an underpinning approach in global generation that has stood the test of time so it's stuck for about 12 years now the, the, even the name i we in the planet has really landed you know for many of the people we work with self culture and nature would mean nothing but i we in the planet and other people have um it's they often look at our website page and that's what they come back to me with. So I'd like to just run through a few of the phrases and concepts that you talk about in the book that were new to me, <laughs> um, but I can see how applicable they are in, in the way that we run businesses and lead people. Um, so I was just wondering if we could quickly whiz through some of those and you could just describe what they are. Common planning. What is that? Oh. Common planning, yeah. Common plan was a phrase I got from an architect we've worked with many over many years called Jan Katain, and he's helped us build our gardens. And the idea of it is that um, what's the minimal you need to do before the collective can kick in? So moving into a new garden, for example, we needed to show the British Library, the local community, whatever this was, we needed to get planning permission. We needed to show that this was going to be a good thing. So it's about creating a skeletal, a skeleton structure that is porous enough for the collective to, and the community to start working on it and new ideas to come in. Um, so a common plan process is both individual and collective, but the individual needs to be very mi mindful that they're not going to take you the whole way to the finish line. They're just a catalyst for enabling a community process to start. I thought it was a lovely framework, Jane, for work and working together in projects. You know, you don't need a master plan. The mm. kind of to quote you in the book, the unexpected organic stuff that emerges when you just have that loose framework, you know, and the magic that that creates. And yeah, I could see that working really interestingly in, in organisations and projects. It's this balance because you do need something. You need a starter. And there are examples of people going, oh, we want to work collaboratively. And then it's like ruling by committee. Nothing happens. 
it's not ruling by committee. It's about just having enough to enable a scaffold. Yeah, a scaffold to enable people then to come on and bring their own creativity and the collective creativity. So a couple of other phrases that I liked in the book were bumpy ground and leaky margins. And I took when you were talking about those, um, about that, that this was about failure and learning and changing as you go. What, what, what's your description of bumpy ground and leaky margins? Well, bumpy ground is literally what it is. Um, when it's rough, when you think, ooh, we're going through a rocky pass, and uh, it's about that ability to be curious about it and not freaked out about it and to letting go of those expectations that it's only successful and worthwhile if it's going to be smooth. I guess it's letting go of the victory story and going, our work will only be good if we, it feels bumpy and turbulent at times, but it's those, it's the bumps um, where the best things happen sometimes. So Jane, those are some really interesting concepts that hopefully will give people um, a different lens of how they think about some things at work. So really keen to understand what the future is for global generation in the COVID, post-COVID world. COVID has brought out a greater appreciation of the need for the natural world partly for people's well yeah you know for people's well-being particularly how essential green spaces in the middle of the city have been um, and then of course there's a bigger conversation about biodiversity and resilience and the need for green spaces and all of that but I think uh, the green spaces and also green spaces as a foundation for building community. So there has been a slowing down. There's been more localism, people working on a much more local level. Uh, it used to be in London, everybody wore trainers. Now lots of people are wearing walking boots because they're walking everywhere. Streets have been widened to enable people to walk and gardens and parklets are getting put at the side of streets. So our work is not just about our work in our gardens. It's very much about work in the wider area, um, also facilitating local people to take on their own gardens in the wider area. Thank you, Jane. You've talked about the importance of the natural world just in that little summary, and that's what the book is about. It's about the importance of the natural world and thinking differently in a mainstream context. And I really hope that our listeners have um, have enjoyed the conversation and enjoyed the, the different entry into leadership and organisations that you offer. So thank you. Thanks a lot. It was uh, really pleasure to talk with you. I really enjoyed our conversation. Here's our learning to lead together take five in 60 seconds. One, try approaching decisions or thinking through three lenses, I, we and the planet. Two, try freefall writing. Reflect on something or ask yourself a question and just write freely without reading it back. See where it takes you. Three, what are the special places in nature for you and why? How do you feel being in those places? Four, are you comfortable with being a leader or leadership? Why or why not? 
Try that free-fall writing when you're answering that question. And five, reframe how you talk about things. Bumpy ground instead of conflict and obstacles. Common planning instead of master plan. That's our Book Sip Work episode done and dusted for this week. Remember, please let me know what you think and follow us on Instagram, Books That Work. I'm Anna Hughes and that's Books That Work, making work better. (laughs) 